Yo, 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 what's good? What's good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Isaiah Kid Podcast. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. I am back in full effect. Let's get into it. Saturday episode, you know how I'm giving it up. Saturday episode for you guys. I haven't done one of these in a minute, so hope you guys enjoyed this. I'm taking a little bit of my Friday night, um, but I don't mind because um it's what we do it's what we do here it's what we do here at the ikp um i hope you guys are excited as i am for this episode uh let's get into it first and foremost i'm your humble and highly favored host isaiah kit of the isaiah kit podcast i hope everybody there is doing fine i am doing well hope you guys are healthy shouts out to everybody listening shouts out to everybody shouts out to everybody listening and showing support i greatly greatly appreciate it um, we got a lot. I, I got, I, I have a lot of things I really want to tackle here today on, on a Saturday episode. Really, I want to tackle. Uh, obviously, we're gonna do my top 10 teams list. That That is a no doubt, no brainer. We do that every week, top 10 teams in the NFL on a weekly basis. Um, my list, it has some, it has, we got some new teams incorporated. We took some teams out. Um, so that should be pretty interesting to see if your, if your favorite team made the list or if your favorite team dropped or you moved up, we'll see. I think the list is pretty interesting this week though. Um, but then I also, I want to get into some college football, uh, cause we're getting, we're starting to get in the thick of conference play and so forth. Uh, we got some, we got some big time matchups, big time games coming up. Uh, I think Alabama plays Tennessee. Um, I think uh, I, I know Alabama plays Tennessee. I know USC plays Utah. Um, so I'm really, really excited for those mar- those these marquee matchups. So I might dive into that a little bit today. Um, but let me start with a familiar topic that I often hit on my podcast. And I've been saying this for years. And I think some people kind of resonate with the message, kind of resonate with with the sentiments that I've been spewing. But then I think there's some people that's just still on the fence. And I'm every each each and every day when I talk about this particular person, I want to sway the public. If you're still on the fence, I want to sway you. And we're gonna start with Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> um so Patrick Mahomes uh in the Kansas City Chiefs they overcame a 17 point deficit. And I've been saying this for some time now. I've been saying it for some time. I think we have some tremendous quarterback talents all throughout the league. All throughout the league. I talk about I talk about it too much. I feel like I talk about it too much. But no, honestly, you look at the quarterback play, you look at just the talent at the position, it is phenomenal. The talent at the position is phenomenal. But Patrick Mahomes is on a different level. <laughs> And I've been talking about this for some time, I, I, for, for for some time now. And merely his first three years in the league are merely perfect. Like his first three years starting, I should say his first three seasons starting in the league. They're merely perfect. First year, he wins MVP. Uh, leads the Chiefs to the number one seed. They got a they they're hosting the AFC Championship game. They lose the AFC Championship game, but granted that like a lot of that wasn't Mahomes' fault. Like they lost the AFC Championship game, offsides call, offsides penalty, which led to the Patriots, you know, being able to win ultimately win that game in overtime and so forth. The second year, we know what happens. He has a historical playoff run and he runs the table. They win the Super Bowl. Third year, some some same thing, you know, dominant great all throughout the regular season they get to the Super Bowl and granted he loses in the Super Bowl and there was so much built up hype with Mahomes Brady and you know Mahomes you know Mahomes been the young gun Brady been the old legacy guy like gold people call like it was the whole goat debate and talk so much built up going into that matchup and granted Mahomes lost but I think if you really peel back the layers of that Super Bowl loss and look at, and you you just look at circumstance, you know what the circumstances was, and you you know you're just adding context to what happened throughout that game, 
you would be still impressed like I was. I walked away still a little bit impressed with Mahomes and the effort that he that he gave in that Super Bowl loss. And that's I'm not trying to diminish um, or wipe away the loss, but I think in his first three years, I'm just trying to paint the picture that in his first three years, that is merely as good as a start you can get off to, I think. Um, not only just team success, but also individual and statistical success. It's just, it, I mean, I think we just look at him like, we look at it like, hey, whatever it is what it is. But like what, ha- what he did his first three years and still going on, it, it's phenomenal. Okay, first three years, merely perfect. Year four. Throughout the regular season, he has a, he has a rough patch. Like he has a real he hits a real rough patch. They get it together throughout the late latter part of the year, um, and they go into the AFC Championship game again. Um, they're hosting it again, but they lose to Cincinnati. Obviously, <clears throat> so coming into this offseason, Tyreek Hill, it was time for him to get paid. Kansas, you know, he Kansas City, he didn't like the offer that Kansas City gave him, so he requested a trade, and he got traded. And immediately after that trade, I told you guys, I was like, I think Kansas City's gonna be fine. I think Tyreek Hill, and granted, I think both individuals are phenomenal players because, as we see now, Tyreek Hill is just he's just different. <laughs> like when you watch him, he's just different with the ball in his hands, like. There's guys that's fast in the league, and then you have like Tyreek Hill speed, and it, it it's just different because like he outruns faster people. But I told you guys immediately immediately after that trade, I, I said, "Hey, I don't think this trade puts the Chiefs in prime position to win the Super Bowl this year." But I do think over the long haul, looking at what they got back in return and the draft capital that, that they got back in return for Tyreek Hill, I do think this move, this trade sets them up for future ramifications in terms of being favorites and competing for Super Bowls. And granted, when I said that, I still thought Kansas City would be really good this year. So it wasn't like I thought, hey, you know, they're just they're just nettling in and waiting, waiting it out. No, 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 no immediately coming into this season were they my Super Bowl favorites no I'll tell you guys that they weren't you guys know who I have who I picked to win the Super Bowl this year but do I think Kansas City that move did that put them in a better predicament for the future yes but I also thought they would still be really good and a lot of people a lot of people were coming into this year I would almost say banking Banking that 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 Patrick Mahomes, we would see some type of slippage. I kind of felt that throughout the offseason, hearing you know hearing people talk about the Chiefs and hearing people talk about Kansas City, and then also looking at what what, what was going on surrounding the Chiefs and then their own division in the AFC West. In the AFC West, we're looking at the Chargers getting literally everybody got better. So literally. We look at the Chargers got better, getting better, um, adding pieces on defense and so forth. We look at the Broncos getting Russell Wilson. We looked at um, the the Raiders getting Devo- acquiring Devontae Adams. So a lot of so uh, there was just so much chatter, and I think some of it was okay. The AFC West is getting better, but I also think like some of it was just like people were just banking on Mahomes to fail. Like, like, I'm sorry, or not, not even to fail, but to see some type of slippage. <laughs> and lo and behold, there has been no slippage. I will say this about the Chiefs. They are not, without Tyreek Hill, they are not as fast as they once were offensively. Granted, they're, when, they're not as fast, but they are still as good offensively. They're just not as fast. They just can't get up and down the field as quickly. But they can still over – they're still the best team. I mean, Kansas City, since Patrick Mahomes has taken over, taken over the starting job, Kansas City has been the best team, the best come-from-behind team. Like, no other team in the league plays better from behind than Kansas City. No other team. No other team. There's been some crazy stats floating around throughout this week. 
since Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs have overcome another double-digit point deficit, double-digit deficit to win and come back, Patrick Mahomes, when, when down double digits, he has a better win percentage than Justin Herbert overall. And I love Justin Herbert. I think Justin Herbert is an amazing talent. I think Justin Herbert is a phenomenal talent. But he has, when Patrick Mahomes, he has a better win percentage, a higher win percentage, win down double digits than Justin Herbert has overall throughout his career. <laughs> and granted, it's a it's very young in his career, but that's just that's that's phenomenal. Like he has a higher win percentage when trailing. Than Justin Herbert does just overall. It's phenomenal. And you look at Kansas City, what they do offensively, a lot of it is if if we really think about it, three of the four years with when we had Mahomes, Kelsey, and Tyreek Hill, guess who led the Chiefs in receptions? Travis Kelsey. And with the exception of that one year three out of the four years, which was this past year, uh, last season, they tried to get Tyreek Hill more targets because he was getting frustrated about the lack of targets he was getting because he knew he had a con- he knew he knew had a payday coming up. But but without that, you look at the three, the three, the four years that Mahomes, Kelsey, and Tyreek Hill spent together, Kelsey was, Mah- was Mahomes' go-to guy. That, that was his third down guy. That was his red zone guy. Granted, Ty, I'm not, and I'm not trying to belittle Tyreek Hill because Tyreek Hill is, ama- like I said, phenomenal and amazing in his own right. But I told you guys from the start, all throughout the offseason, I think Kansas City is going to be just okay. Granted, they got some questions on their defense and so forth coming into the, coming into the season, but I said they're going to be okay. I said you still have one of the best play callers, if not the best play caller, play innovator, in football and in, 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 in history, in the history of the sport, Andy Reid, you still have a pretty good front office who drafts well on a regular basis. You still have Patrick Mahomes and you still have Travis Kelsey. And Travis Kelsey, yeah, he's thirty. He's in his mid thirties, but he looks damn good. He looks like this is the gap between. I feel like this is the gap between Ty, like Travis Kelsey and everybody else. Like. There's Travis Kelsey in the tight end position. Didn't just like everybody. Like, I like I like George Kittle. I like Mark Andrews. I like Darren Waller. They're just not Travis Kelsey. I'm sorry. They're just not Travis Kelsey. And with those four ingredients, I still thought Kansas City would still remain very much relevant in competing in the AFC. Now, do I think they're the best team in the AFC per se? Um, I don't know. I don't think so. I think at this moment, they could be. You can make an argument for it. And I wouldn't be surprised if at the end of the day they came out on top of the AFC and they were hosting, um, they were representing the AFC in the Super Bowl. I wouldn't be surprised at all because I think they have the best quarterback in football. I think they have the best quarterback and and they got the best quarterback in football. And then not only that, do they have the best quarterback in football, I think they have the best quarterback-coach combination in football. So I think with that being said, you can't, you can't, you always have to give them a chance. But I think a lot of people, I think a lot of, a lot of the sentiments, a lot of what I gathered throughout the offseason, coming into this season was people banking on Mahomes or people banking on Mahomes to see some type of slippage. They were banking on Mahomes to decline a little bit. And I I, I guess if I mean if we're looking at it from a, a general basic lens, I guess, but I know you still have Andy Reid. You still have some they they it's not like Kansas City didn't go out and get and replace or try to replace some of that production with Tyreek Hill. Granted, you can't duplicate. I said this throughout the offseason. You can't duplicate what Tyreek Hill does, but can his production be replaced by two, three guys? Like, like, yeah, certainly, certainly. And like I said, they're not as fast. Kansas City, they're not as fast, but they are still as deadly as they come offensively. They're still as deadly as they come offensively. 
they're still really challenging the scheme against. You would think more teams would try to double Travis Kelsey. Sometimes that don't work. And then some of the other guys that they have, McCole Hartman, Juju Smith-Schuster, um, MVS, Mark, 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 uh, Valdez Scantling, like, you look at them like they're fitting in really well, and I'm not surprised. <laughs> I'm not surprised because who's the catalyst? Not surprised at all. I'm not surprised at all. And I think Josh Allen is amazing. I think he's a, I think he's a special physical specimen. I mean – the arm strength, the physicality, the the the, the ability to just run, like, but Allen, I don't. Can he come from behind like Mahomes? Does he have the resiliency like Mahomes? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I like Justin Herbert. Can he get his team to the playoffs for once now? Like it's it's that time. Like I, I'm because I, I love Herbert. I think Herbert like. Similar to Allen, a very special, like really special physically um, and just so many just, I mean, great arm talent. But it's that time of the year. Like, OK, OK, I'm getting to that point where, like, OK, you're talented. I recognize that you're talented. I recognize that you're special. Now, let's see those talents and let's see the special come out and let's, let's see results. <laughs> let's see results now. I'm the, I'm at that point with Justin Herbert. Um, Lamar amazing, but doesn't have the playoff success that Mahomes possess. That but that Mahomes possess. I think a lot of these guys are amazing. I think Kyle Murray is amazing. I think Matthew Stafford's pretty good. I think they're pretty good. I think these guys. I think all these quarterbacks. Joe Burrow. I think he's pretty good. I think they're all amazing. But <laughs> I don't know. There's just something about Patrick Mahomes that he sets himself aside. And he really pulls away from the pack. He really pulls away from the pack, in my opinion. And time and time again, time and time again, he just proves why I think he's the best quarterback in football. Aaron Rodgers. I think Aaron Rodgers is a future Hall of Famer. No doubt Hall of Famer. Aaron Rodgers wet the bed in the postseason. He's not great coming from behind. Tom Brady, I think, is amazing. He's just older. <laughs> like Tom's just older. There, he's he's in a he's in a really past happy predicament right now with Tampa Bay, and I think Tom is still amazing, but he's older. Anxious though. Right now, right now, not over the course of a career, but right now. Game on the line. Two minutes left. Who do you want with the football? Who a quarterback do you want? With me, I'm taking Mahomes. I'm taking Mahomes. Taking Mahomes. Like I said, Tom is amazing. Tom is great. Bit older though. What happens when the play breaks down? What can Tom do? Josh Allen, I still like. I love Josh Allen. He can be a bit reckless at times. I think Mahomes just, he's really setting himself apart from the pack. Simple as that. Simple as that. Mahomes, just special. In Kansas City, you you can look at their offensive, where they rank statistically offensively in a lot of the major categories. They're still thriving. Monday Night Football versus the Raiders, they had 29 first downs. (laughs) They had 29 first downs. They're not as fast, but they're still deadly. They're still as deadly on offense as they come. Still deadly. I just think Mahomes, we, we're, we're really setting up for a really good matchup this upcoming Sunday with Mahomes and Josh Allen. I can't wait. I cannot wait. All right. I went on a tangent. Um, let's shift gears to Justin Fields um, and the Chicago Bears. So they lost to they lost to the Commanders, the Washington Commanders, twelve to seven. I must say Thursday night football has been an utter disaster, um, and so many people are pr- they're playing they're paying for Amazon Prime 
just just literally to watch these games. <laughs> I mean, because I know some people that don't even have that didn't have Amazon Prime, and then they found out that Thursday Night Football, you know, comes on on Amazon Prime, and they they just they just have it now for that just for that particular reason. <laughs> and the games have been an utter mess. It's like it's some of the it's some of the worst football I've ever seen. I must like it's some of the worst football I've ever seen. So I must say, like, hey, you know, a lot of people paying for Amazon Prime. Amazon might need to pay us just for watching this product that they are putting on. I mean, this product that they are giving us on Thursday night is atrocious and ridiculous to the utmost. I mean, it's just it's 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 it's, it's just ugh. I can't even. It's so hard to watch. So hard to watch. Ah, so hard to watch. But regardless, Justin Fields and the Bears. I want to talk about Justin Fields and the Bears because I haven't talked I haven't talked much about Justin Fields in my podcast since um his draft year. And the Bears I of, I often say this about certain teams. And it's been, it's it's been just, it's just been proven true. Certain teams struggle to draft certain positions <laughs> I, I, that's just what it is like certain teams just don't have a knack for certain positions or just for a certain side of the ball the bears the prime example is the bears they have no feel for offense whatsoever name the bears greatest receiver who who is that like the brandon marshall Alshon Jet, like, name the Bears' greatest tight end. Greg Olson. Like, you you struggle so much. The Bears have struggled so much as a franchise, as organization, to just draft offense. Who's the, I mean, who's who's the best tight end? Mike Mike Ditka. Like, I I I can't. You can't put a premium on being able to draft certain units, being able to draft certain sides of the ball. Defense, they do well. You, I mean, the Bears, that, that's just been that's always been their identity, even when they were great, even when they when when they were at their peak as a franchise, defensively, they were great. They always have been great. It's the offense. The Bears just can't do offense. And I often talk about how certain teams just they, you know, they just don't have a feel for offense. I often talk about it. Certain coaches don't have a feel for certain things in terms of drafting positions and so forth. And the Bears, they're the prime example of a franchise. They just can't figure out the offense side of the ball to save their life. Doesn't matter what year we're in. Doesn't matter if we are in 1980, 1960, or 2022. They still can't figure out what the hell to do on offense. And oh, get this. Like last two years, they have drafted six offensive linemen. Maybe one is good. <laughs> Maybe one is good. The Bears by far have the worst receiving core, receiving room in football. Darnell Mooney, I really like him. I think he he's the he's the guy that's like really he's the best receiver that they have. And he is mm, a two, maybe a three. Everybody else, just whatever, like scraps, scraps. I mean, I mean, just scraps. So they by far have the worst receiver room, receiving core in in football. No doubt about it. So I know a lot of people are like, okay, Justin Fields, how do we feel about Justin Fields? And at times I see flashes. I see why. I see why so many people, including myself, raved about him at Ohio State. I see flashes of that. But I just, you just look at his numbers, and I'm going to be, and with that, I got to be patient with Justin Fields. I have to. Like, the Bears, they don't do offense well. Um, Matt Eberflus, Matt Eberflus is a defensive-minded coach. The the they they just the Bears as an organization can't do offense well. They just don't do offense well. So I have to be patient with Justin Fields and at least give him this year, at least this year, 
um, to see if he can progressively get better. But I feel like by year two, by a certain number of starts, we should be able to start seeing some type of progression. Um, some type of progression. I and I'm I, I'm just I'm just not seeing it necessarily at the rate I need to see it at. But like I said, I have to be patient. But then this often comes in my when when I'm discussing quarterbacks, when I'm discussing drafting certain quarterbacks, this often comes into play. We all know that the Bears can't do offense well. We all know that the Bears don't draft offense well. We know that. We know that. And it's just, it's just been a continuous trend. They draft the receiver. So their first two picks, if I recall this past year, two the first two are defensive players. They work. They're fine. They're obviously. Uh, that's, not, that, that's not the problem. Their third round pick, they drafted a receiver out of USC, and he's just – like he just he can't track the ball. Like that that was that was his problem at USC. He really had a hard time tracking the ball. I mean, fast guy, but just it was a reach. It was a reach. It was a reach for your third third pick. And obviously, it was an offensive player at receiver. So, like we all know, the Bears can't do offense well. So then that come. So this the ultimate question comes into play: Is Justin Fields capable and good enough? Or good enough to overcome this, and that's what I talk about. Like certain quarterbacks, certain 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 situations, you have to be able to overcome deficiencies of your franchise, of your coat. You gotta be. Can you overcome that? And with Justin Fields, I don't know. I, I, I honestly don't know, and that's why you got to give him time. You got to be patient. But I think this is a, it's a big question in play because offensive personnel has never been the Bears' thing, and they've been around for a very, very, very long time. So I don't know if that changes in the next couple of years, and I don't know if that changes. So how many times have we seen this where a young quarterback gets a bad – hand dealt to him and he has somewhat of a he has a defensive defensive minded coach um and then offensively the personnel just isn't up to par where we can see the necessary progression and make being made with this particular quarterback how many times have we seen it but it comes into play big question the ultimate question can Justin Fields is Justin Fields good enough to overcome the Bears' discrepancies and deficiencies in terms of an organization not being able to draft offensive personnel well. Because the kid has a bad offensive line. The kid has a a bad, probably the worst receiving core in football. But you're still not seeing – I see flashes of it, but we're still – I'm uh, his completion percentage from last year has gone down. Is dipped. Um, his offensive coordinator, at times, they can be very creative and they can move the pocket. But at some point, you got to become a little bit comfortable with throwing the ball within the pocket because defenses tend to catch on to that. Um, so it's it's a really pick your poison. But the big question is here: Can Justin Fields overcome the Bears? deficiencies in terms of organization not being able to draft offense that's the big question that's the big question at hand um that that needs to be answered so i'm gonna i'm gonna shift gears to my top 10 uh, i think i want to do my top 10 teams list now we're kind of at the halfway point i don't want to have you guys waiting on that i know a lot of people are excited so for all my regular listeners, you know what time it is. This is my top 10 teams list. I take a lot of time into this. This is for my new listeners, I should say. My regular listeners know the deal. My new listeners, hey, we do a weekly top 10 list. It's not your regular, degular power rankings, I don't think. Uh, I do a lot of considering. I take a lot. I do a lot of homework. And I, I probably spend too much time on this if you ask certain people. So without further ado, let's get into my top 10 list going into this week. Top 10 teams, Isaiah's top 10 teams. Let's go. Okay, <clears throat> so at 10, 
I have the Chargers. I have the Chargers at 10. They're back at 3-2. and two. And surprisingly, this Charger team, they got off to a really rocky start because they, they're facing what they face. They're, they've been faced with some injuries. But they're second in passing offense. There's a passing league. There's a very pass-centric league. So being able to throw the football effectively and, and successfully is huge. Obviously, you can do that when you got Justin Herbert on the center. But I thought they would be I thought they would have some trouble trying to protect them and keep them upright, especially after that Chiefs game where he suffered those that, that rib injury. But um obviously they're missing Rashawn Slater, the, the star left tackle. Um but they have Herbert has he's the least sack quarterback in the NFL. So granted, they don't have Rashawn Slater, but they have, it seems like they have pretty good depth at the at offensive line. Um, they still have a really, really good center in Corey Lindsley. They still got some nice weapons on the outside. Hopefully they get Keenan Allen back soon. So this Charger team, slow and steady, slow and steady wins the race, though. So we'll see where they go. Um, but the Chargers at 10. Um, at nine, I have the Cincinnati Bengals. I think they're a pretty good team. I think they have a really, really underrated defense. The thing with the Bengals is they don't have like that star-studded name. Um, they got like they got like Jesse Bates, um, Trey Hendrickson. They got some really they got like those are really good players, but they don't have like a like a game record on defense, like an Aaron Donald um, or, or a Bosa. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or you know they they don't have a, a Micah Parsons. They don't have one of those game-changing players on defense, um, so I think that's what that's why they're they're that that side of the ball is a little bit underrated. And then their offense, they have just playmakers, dynamic playmakers all over the place. But their defense tends to get underrated. But they're really, really good defensively. Um, now, their opponents are taking away deep shots from Joe Burrow in the offense. I think that's the big thing with them offensively. Last year, we saw Cincinnati. They were high-flying, explosive, over-the-top. Defenses are now taking that back, and they're making they're making Cincinnati beat them underneath. That's why that's why offensively they haven't been as explosive this year so far. But I still think they're a pretty solid team. So I got I got I got Cincinnati at nine. Okay, at number eight, I have the Cowboys. I do. I had the Cowboys at number eight, and defense. It's more of a, it's kind of more of a defensive story. They haven't allowed twenty points this year. Like they, their defensive stats are. I, I've been finding them looking looking for defensive stats to back this ranking, and it's it's astonishing. They haven't allowed twenty points this year at all. Like in any other game, they haven't allowed twenty points. No opponent in one game has scored more than one touchdown versus them. So like you getting one touchdown on them, and then that that's it. Um, so they, they, they're just, they, they're, they're tops in quarterback pressures. Uh, I think Michael Parsons, if I had to take an early vote, um, or like a, who, or I had to tell you who's the front runner for early defensive player of the year, I would probably say Michael Parsons because he is tops in quarterback pressures. I think he has about five sacks on the year. Um, and he's just, he's just, he's just relentless. He's just a relentless dog. Like, Michael Parsons can really, really play. Um, not surprised that he he hasn't um, that there was. That, I'm not surprised that he hasn't shown any regression. I've seen any, if anything, I've seen like progression. Um, and they're winning with a backup. <laughs> like they're winning with a backup. They're four and zero with Cooper Rush this year. Four and zero. So obviously, Dak. I don't think no one would deny Dak is better than Cooper Rush. So I think with the Cowboys winning with Cooper Rush, the way that they're winning with Cooper Rush, it's a defensive story, granted, but they're getting back to some of their their identity a little bit offensively with being able to run the ball. But they completely dominated the Rams. And after that type of game, I had to put the Cowboys at eight. But at number seven, I had the Vikings. Now, I will say this. With a healthy Dak Prescott, I do think the Cowboys, like I was like kind of what I was alluding to, I do think the Cowboys are a little bit better than the Vikings because I think Dak makes them a little bit better than the Vikings. So with a healthy Dak, I think the Cowboys are a little bit better. But I had the Vikings at seven as of right now. It's a ranking right now. Um, they they like I, I've been saying this for the past couple weeks. The Vikings clearly have a ceiling. Like they they have they clearly have a ceiling where 
they're not going to really blow teams out and they can they leave themselves prone and susceptible to playing really really close games with teams like the bears and the lions but i i think they're clearly better i think they're definitively better but they have a ceiling and some of that is because of kirk but kirk cousins he has three game winning drives this year so i think kirk is a little bit more comfortable this year he has an offensive minded coach um they're, they're not going to wow you over the top, but like I told you, I told you last week, they got a really, really flexible schedule coming up. So they're 4-1 right now. Next couple weeks, you could be looking at a 6-1, 7-1 7-1 because of their schedule and the flexibility of it. So I got the Vikings at 7. At number 6, I had the Buccaneers. As I was saying earlier with Tom Brady, this is probably the most pass-centric offense he's been a part of. Uh, I think he had 51 pass. I think he had 51 pass attempts. I think he leads the league in um, completions. Uh, they're very pass centric. They got to find a way to be able to run the football and try to get some yards on the ground. But they lead the league in sack differential. That's big. That's a big stat because coming into the year with all of the injuries and all of the losses to the Tampa to the Buccaneers offensive line, I thought that would be a huge issue. I thought. Trying to keep Tom upright and protected would be a huge issue because they lost Alex Kappa. They lost Jansen to uh, um, seat in training camp. Um, who else did they lose? Ali Kappa. Like, they, they, they just lost so many guys. Um, so I thought they would regress a little bit. Ali Marpat, I'm sorry, Ali Marpat, and they lost Alex Kappa to the Cincinnati Bengals. So I thought that's a really big sack. I mean, a really big stat for them where they lead the league and sack them for you. Um, so Tom has been getting protection. I also think they're going to get healthy soon. You look at their losses. They lost to Kansas City and Green Bay, two, two solid teams. I mean, Kansas City, they're better than solid. Kansas City's elite. Green Bay's solid. So they lost to two really good teams, I think, um, without a lot of their weapons. They, 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 they were just they just been missing guys. So I think as soon as Tampa Bay get healthy, they could move up on this list. But I got the Bucks at six. And number five, I have the Ravens. They're funny. <laughs> they have led by double digits in all of their games this year. <laughs> the, the Ravens, the only team this year. They have led in all of their games by double digits. But some way, somehow, they've lost two of those games. So they're, they're a real team. They're, they're a real funny team, but they're capable of beating anyone. I tell you guys this. I think the Ravens are capable of beating anyone on any given Sunday, but then sometimes they're just they're prone to wet the bed versus I, I, sometimes inferior opponents. I think um, now their defense lead the league in takeaways, which is also strange because they also have a young secondary that has had that that's had some troubles. So with with the, with what with the Ravens. I got them at five. I like them as a team. I do. I do. I do. I think Lamar, obviously, he's dynamic and phenomenal. But they're funny. They're a strange team. And they're 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 really a wild card. They're a wild card. They're like, they can beat anyone. They can lose anyone. But I got the Ravens at five. At four, I have the 49ers. I, they're so physical. The Niners are so physical. They, they allow the fewest yards per play. They're amazing defensively, and there's and they're, they're still dealing with a ton of injuries. Like you wouldn't even know it. They're blowing teams out, like just completely manhandling teams, and they're dealing with a bunch of injuries. That's why I had them at four. Honestly, I could put them higher. I could see myself putting them higher once they get back healthy because they they're loaded. The Forty Niners are loaded. Um, they lead the league in sacks this year. Um, they're, they're, they're just relentless. That's who they are. They're a physical football team. And with Jimmy Garoppolo, I, like I said, I always say the 49ers, they know something and that everybody else knows. Um, they tried to replace him. They just look a little bit – they look more coherent. And they, they just look more as a team. They just look more collective. Like a, it's like a collective – like a better collective effort when Jimmy Garoppolo is under center with the 49ers. So I got the Niners at four. At three, this is a little tough for me, but I got I had to put the Bills. The Bills, obviously, they had a they had an impressive win versus the Steelers. But I like I know that. I know they can blow teams out. I want to see, and maybe we'll see it this week, 
I want to see the Bills win a game like Kansas City did versus the Raiders. I want to see them fight back. I want to see them win close games. And I know they just did that with Baltimore. I know. I know they did. But I want to see the Bills win more than one way. I feel like a lot of their games are very – a lot of their wins are very lopsided, and they just blow – they blow the hell out of teams. I want to see them win a little bit more. I want to see them win some more close games. Like I said, hopefully we we can probably see that this upcoming Sunday. But at two, I got the Chiefs because I know the Chiefs can win close games. I know the Chiefs can win – they can win multiple ways. They can win blowing you out. They can win trailing by 20. They can win trailing by 17. They can win trailing by 10 points. It doesn't matter. Like They can win multiple ways. That's why I have the Chiefs a little bit above the – Bills at this moment. I think the Bills are a little bit more well well rounded defensively. On you know the defensive line, the linebacking core, and the back end. I think they're a little bit more well rounded and talented. But I got Kansas City in front of them right now for this week. And then number one, I have the Eagles. Um, they're 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 explosive. I want to see I want to see what they do versus Dallas because honestly, this is their fear their first real test in. Kind of hesitate saying that because Cooper Rush is playing for the Cowboys. It's not like they're starting. I don't. I don't think the Cowboys are starting Dak. I don't think that would be. I don't think that would happen. But that's this is kind of like the, this is their real test because they've been playing. They've been they've played some some pretty good teams. Okay teams like they played the Vikings, who I think is pretty good. They played the Jaguars, who I think is improving. But. I want to see the Eagles play. I don't. I don't. And it's weird because I had the number one, but I, I still don't know if they're a Super Bowl team yet. I don't know if they're a Super Bowl team. So, I I think this game versus the Cowboys. Granted, it's versus Cooper Rush. It's not versus. It's not versus Dak Prescott. But it's really. It's a really good defense. This is probably the best defense that they have played this year. Um, and we'll see how Jalen Hurts look versus a, a division rival. So I got the Eagles that won this week. But I, I think rounding out this list, it's, it's it's looking real nice. I know in the back end it was really difficult. And I added some new teams, but I felt it was needed. I felt it was needed. So that's my top ten ten um my top ten teams going into this week. It's a weekly list. It's bound to change. It it changes. The Chargers weren't on this list. They weren't on this list last year. I mean, this last week. The Cowboys, this is the first time they made my list. So, like, it, it's bound to change. Um, my top five is usually consistent. I might interchange a couple teams due to some injuries. But my top five is usually consistent. My top three has been consistent this year. It's been an iteration of either Bills, Chiefs, Eagles, Bills, Eagles, Chiefs, whatever. Top three has been consistent this year. So, uh, that's my top ten teams of the week. So as promised, I had some college football content I want to get to, and we have th- really three marquee matchups this week in college football. Three really marquee matchups. We got Alabama going to Knoxville, playing Tennessee, a, a really really good Tennessee team. I think I think all three of these these matchups have potential upset written all over them. Um, obviously, we have Penn State and Michigan. Uh, number 10, Penn State versus number five, Michigan. And then we have USC going to Utah um, playing the Utes. Uh, so these are these are three really huge marquee games and matchups. And I want to start with USC because I've been talking about this. And I think now this is the perfect time to reiterate some of my comments and reiterate some of my thoughts about USC. And my thoughts about them uh, coming into the year and as the year has progressed. Coming into the year, we looked at Transfer Portal. We know we looked at Lincoln Rally. I say it all the time on this podcast. Lincoln Rally is um, probably the best offensive mind that we have in college football. He's probably the best young offensive mind, brilliant young coach in college football. And you look at Caleb Williams, look at Jordan Addison. Uh, you look at uh, you look at some of the pieces that they bought it, it, offensively through the transfer portal, and you list you just see you like 
clearly they were going to be good offensively. And I came on here and told you guys after the first game, granted it was versus Rice, but I came in here, I came on here and I was like, okay, USC offensively, they have it all. They they can do it. They can run the football. They can control the line of scrimmage. They can throw it. They can be explosive. They can beat you in a they can beat you in many ways offensively. And they don't really lack at the skill position. Like they have a top five in terms of personnel. They have a top five uh, skill position personnel, like in the country. That's that's just that's a no brainer. I told you guys that after the first game, but my concerns coming into the season, leading up to the college football season with USC, was their defense. We I didn't quite know how good their defense is going to be. I didn't know if their defense is going to be good enough to compete in the Pac-12 um, or, to, or to a degree, you know. Could they win the Pac-12? Could they be a college football contender? Um, and granted, up until this point, you look at their, you look at certain statistics. They lead the league and they lead the, uh, the, the country in sacks, um, also in interceptions. They have the number one scoring defense in the Pac-12. So, a lot of people probably say, oh, well, their defense looks good, Isaiah. Like, their defense is fine. And that's the thing. I think <clears throat> I think going into this game versus Utah, it's a it, this matchup versus Utah, and looking even looking further down the road, their matchup versus UCLA, those matchups really, really concern me. And that's when I say, like, statistically – Looking at certain numbers defensively with USC, USA, oh yeah, their defense is it's it's a it's a really stout defense. But I think unlike anybody else in college football so far this year, I think the best way to put it is UCLA, I mean USC, <clears throat> excuse me, has probably been the best team in the country in terms of managing and somewhat hiding their weakness, their 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 key weakness. And I I literally they're six and oh I've literally watched every USC game. I've watched every USC game this year. They're six and oh and a lot of the games look really, really similar. Um I think with the exception of one game, it was a little different. Um it was a little it was a little bit uglier. It was an uglier win. And that was versus Oregon State, but that's but this is why I say, in terms of anyone like throughout the country in college football, USC has done the best job at not even masking their weaknesses, but they completely hide their weakness. But their weakness is their run defense. They're a hundred and they're a hundred and five. They're they're ranked hundred and fifth in the country in rush defense. They're giving up almost four and a half yards per rush. They're giving up almost four and a half yard four and a half rushing yards per rush. So that that that's that's clearly not a recipe for success. But the reason why this weakness hasn't been exploited by anyone really. So far, that like no no opponent of theirs have really really exploited this this weakness. It's because USC is always playing with a lead. Their defense is always playing with a lead, and this is how I say their style of play, the the personnel that they have on offense, the coach that they have, has been able to just completely wipe away and hide their weakness. Because they have a high-flying offense. Lincoln Riley understands and knows, he knows the weaknesses of his team. And I talked about this, I talked about this a couple weeks ago. I'm like, Lincoln Riley, this is not, this is, this isn't some type of like, he's used to having a high octane offense. And his defense being, uh, his defense being meh. Now I don't think this I don't think this USC defense is necessarily terrible, but I think the numbers, certain numbers, kind of inflate how good this defense is, because they they're always playing with a lead. So you say, okay, think about it. If 
this and this is why their weaknesses haven't their weakness hasn't been exploited because they're always playing with a lead. So if if they're when their defense goes out onto the field, they know they have Caleb Williams, Jordan, they, they have a great running game. They know that they are going to be explosive offensively in that week in, week out, their their offense is going to be able to score points versus anyone. So then USC, they get a lead. And they're able to pin their ears back. They're able to they're able to rush the quarterback. They're able to play to their strengths defensively. But with a matchup like Utah, where Utah they they Utah is fully committed to the run. They run the ball at least thirty nine times a game, and they also lead the Pac twelve in time possession. So Utah they're 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 committed to the run more than anybody in the Pac twelve, and they lead the Pac twelve in time of possession. How do you keep how do you stop or neutralize a great offense and a great quarterback? Time possession. You run the football and you keep that offense on the side. So Utah and UCLA, but Utah this week, and I think some people are I think some I think a lot of people's stock, Utah stock has gone down because they've lost twice now. They lost to Florida and uh and UCLA just last week beat them. Um so I think a lot of people stock you you know the Utah stock is pretty down right now, but uh, they have an interesting this is a this is a really really bad matchup for U, USC, I think. Um, because of the style of play of the Utes, I think Utah can actually exploit USC weakness. If if USC can't get out to a lead, if they can't play from ahead, I think they're in for a long day. And with the like, I, as I said, all every game, just about every game so far, with the exception of one, has looked the same for USC. That one game that they were in trouble was versus Oregon State, and that's because they didn't have a lead. Then they were able to pull that one out. But I think with a with a team like Utah, where they're they maybe they're not as good um, in terms of like nationally ranked, and I don't I don't think like any given Saturday, I don't think Utah's better than USC. But I think this matchup and their style of play doesn't really. I think they can give USC a really, really, and give they can really give them a long day. And I, it wouldn't surprise me if Utah came away with the victory over USC. Wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't surprise me. And then I look at Michigan and Penn State. Michigan, it's kind of sim- similar thing where they Michigan. I've, I've watched quite a few of their games. They're not as they're not as creative offensively as I would like them to be. I think a lot of create uh, in terms of creativity from an offensive perspective is different formations showing different showing the defense a lot of lot of motion showing just showing a lot of eye candy to the defense. Michigan don't quite do that. Michigan they they roll with their their personnel and they get I feel like they get stuck and they show the same personnel the same packages the same formations. And I think when it turns in terms of offense creativity, it's about mo- it's about a lot of motion player movement, showing some eye candy. But you can have you can run the same or similar looking concepts. But a lot of it in terms of offensive creativity is pre snap. It's a which it's what you can show the defense before the ball is snapped. And like I said, that's motioning. Um, That can be different formations, but it can be the same concepts that you're comfortable with or that your quarterback is comfortable with. But with Michigan, I just don't see enough creativity offensively in terms of the pre-snap before the play, which you can actually show the defense before the ball is snapped. And I think Penn State, looking at some of the person, some of their personnel, Penn State, they they can score the football. Um, But also Penn State, if Michigan can't, have their way on the, in the run game early on, I think Michigan's in for a really long day. And then I look at the Bama, the Alabama and Tennessee matchup. This is not a good matchup for Alabama. I, I, I'm not you now. I think all three, like I said, all three of these games, I think have upset written, upset potential written all over them. 
if I had to rank it, I it, it pains me to say this because you guys know I'm really high on USC, and I think they're going to be. I think they're going to be really good, and I think they have been really good. But if but USC is probably the most susceptible to a, to an upset this week. But let me go back to Bama and Tennessee real quick. Bama and Tennessee. This is not a good matchup for Bama. This is not a good bat. This is not a good matchup for Bama. I'm really concerned. Tennessee's Hayden Hooker. He has looked fantastic. He's looked phenomenal. He's coming off a great week versus, uh, I think it was Florida. He's coming off a great week. A Heisman, a Heisman performance kind of week. Like he, he's coming off a really good week. And if you think about it, in terms of when does you ask yourself when does Alabama lose? Time and time again, quarterback play beats Alabama. Great quarterback play beats Alabama. And looking at Alabama, their secondary at times, when when faced versus uh pretty decent quarterbacks, I would say, like Texas, like Quinn Uris, he was phenomenal. And if you ask me, I think if Uris if if Uris doesn't get hurt in the first quarter, I think I think I think I think Texas wins that game over Alabama. And a lot of that had to do because of the success that Quentin Uris was having over the down the field, over the top versus that Alabama secondary. Hayden Hooker presents some of those same problems and similar issues where he can Tennessee and Hayden Hooker can beat you over the top with their down the field passing game. Bama has struggled with that. Bama's also struggled on the road. Once again, at Texas, they have struggled at the road. They have struggled on the road, even dating back to last year. They versus Texas and them, they they've struggled on the road. Also, in terms of explosive plays, Tennessee, they rank second in the country in explosive passing plays. So you look at what Tennessee can do offensively that can present a lot of problems for Alabama secondary, and then you look at hey Bryce Young status questionable questionable so i i think i think michigan bama and usc you look out those are really the three marquee teams to really mark watch out for i think this week where they're going into they're going two of them are going into some tough environments i think penn state goes to the big house but you look at alabama you look at usc they're going into two tough environments um Bama has struggled on the road over the past couple years. Over the past two years, they've kind of they've had some instances on the road where they don't they haven't looked to par. Um, most of the time, they sneak away with a win because Bryce Young is able to put his Superman cape on, like last year at Auburn, um, this year at Texas, and like I said, I think if Quentin Ewers finishes that game, I think if Quentin Ewers is healthy. Texas wins that game and they beat Alabama. So with it, Bryce Young's status, that still remains floating in the air. If I had to guess, I probably assume that he plays. Um, but I look at Tennessee. I think Tennessee now, Tennessee, Tennessee's known for getting your hopes up high. Tennessee football, they're known for getting your hopes up high, and then it, it's just a deflating balloon. And it, it, so Tennessee could, there's there's definitely room for Tennessee to deflate and and disappoint a lot of people. But if looking at these three games, Michigan, Penn State versus Michigan, USC versus Utah, and Alabama versus Tennessee, I think all three teams, Michigan, Bama. And USC, they're all susceptible to an upset. But I look at, I, I, I got to ask myself, what team is the most susceptible um, or would I be the least surprised of an upset? It would probably be USC. Now, like I said, all three of these games have upset potential. I wouldn't be surprised if Penn State, Tennessee, and Utah all won. <laughs> Would not be surprised at all. But if you're asking me, what game, what team would I be the least surprised that lost out of Bama, Michigan, and USC? It probably had to be USC because of the, the because of the deficiency and the weakness that I have pointed out. And it's such a it's such a huge weakness. And it speaks to this speaks to how good their offense 
and their offensive personnel in Lincoln Rally is. Because run defense is such a if you can't stop the run defensively, you you're in bad shape. That's a that's that's a bad thing not to be able to stop the run defensively, but it's a huge thing, critical. But it it goes to show you how talented, how innovative, how smart and how good their offense is. And how good their how good Lincoln Rally is as a coach because their play style with their play style, it is very hard to really point out and and and, and I don't know is this hard to really exploit their weakness because they disguise it and hide it so well. USC hides it so well, but if you watch closely, they can't stop the run. But teams are not able to run the football as much because USC offensively get off to such a hot start and they have the lead a lot of the times. They have the lead a lot of the times. So I think this week in college football is really interesting. I want you guys to pay close, full attention. And and and, and, and I'm and this is why I had USC finishing. Nine and three, ten and ten, nine and three, ten and two, because I looked at Utah, I looked at uh, I looked at UCLA, and I looked at the Notre Dame game, and I said all three of those teams are really physical, and people aren't really talking about UCLA. I think UCLA, depending on what the circumstances is in different scenarios, I think UCLA could have a shot at the playoff, at the college football playoff. And not many people are really giving them a lot, of, a lot of national attention. And I know it's weird to say, like, I don't know, you at UCLA being physical because they have Chip Kelly and you look at the powder blue uniforms. I don't, I don't know. It's kind of hard to imagine. I guess it's kind of hard to for some people to imagine that UCLA could be physical, especially under Chip Kelly. But they are. And I think they're one of the more complete teams in college football. And what these three matchups really show you this weekend, what I'm trying to my my last grand granular big time point that I'm trying to make is in college football now, you have to be complete. You have to be well balanced. The teams that's well balanced and complete will be rewarded. You can't be so one dimensional. You can't be this pass happy offense. You got to be able to do both. You got to be able to run the ball and throw it. You can't just be depending on your defense. Got to have some type of offensive production. You can't just be an offensive heavily team and then your defense is just whatever. I think you look at certain matchups, especially this weekend, you see the weaknesses, you see the matchups and how teams really match up with each other. College football, you got to ask yourself, who's the most complete team in college football so far? It would, you would, most people would probably have to say Ohio State. They look like the most complete team. But that was a question that we had coming into this year. Is Ohio State's defense good enough, capable enough, compatible enough to compete at a high level in terms of like college football playoff versus like the Bamas and, and the Georgias and so forth? Um, but UCLA... They're not gonna not they're they're they they're kind of getting a little bit more national attention. I think more so people looking at Utah like uh Utah not that good, but no UCLA they are they are quietly moving up the rankings, and we'll see if you if USC can survive Utah this week. But circle your calendar USC versus UCLA. Late November, circle. I forgot the the particular date, um, but circle your calendar for that game. That's going to be a huge game. If UCLA can run the table up until that point, that's going to be a huge game. And I think UCLA, they're not getting enough national attention. I I even talked about UCLA coming into the year when I was talking about USC. I was like, everybody, the team that nobody is talking about in college football is UCLA. And that's the team that I thought at, at some point probably had a good chance 
or I would give a, a really good chance at beating USC because of their play style and because of what they can do and just looking at UCL and looking at USC's weaknesses. So um, big takeaway right here. Um, a, I would say a really good college football segment. So you guys um, tune in college football, those three matchups mainly pay close attention. I think all get all in the, the, in the, you know, the beauty of these three games, too, I'm going to leave you guys with this. The beauty of these, three, of these three games this weekend, they all come on at different times. <laughs> so Michigan, I think Penn State, Michigan, they come, that comes on at 12. Um, Alabama, Tennessee, they, that comes on at 3.30. And then USC, Utah comes on at 8 o'clock. So the beauty, so you guys, if, you, if your Saturday isn't packed, you will be able to catch all three of these games and they come on all all three at the same, you know, at different times. So you can catch all three. But without further ado, I'm going I'm to wrap this bad boy up. I've been here a little bit. Um, Hope you guys enjoy. Take away a lot of insight and so forth. We got a big time matchup this this Sunday. I'm talking about college football matchups. We got a huge matchup between Patrick Mahomes and, and the, um, Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. Bills, Chiefs. That should be really, really interesting. Definitely, I, my next episode, I'll definitely be covering that game and talking about that game and discussing it and breaking it down and so forth. But like I said, hope you guys remember, uh, hope you guys remember, always remember two choices, one decision. I'm out, peace, gone, deuces, enjoy.